Hello, this is Robert Cartwright from the Institute of Classical Osteopathy. Today I'm going to be talking about the classical osteopathic approach to supraspinatus tendinopathies and impingement. Apparently, and I would broadly agree with this from my own experience and observation, the third most common presentation we see in clinic is a shoulder problem and I believe about 60% of those involved are supraspinatus, either an impingement or a tendinopathy. We're not going to spend a long time exploring the cellular effects of degeneration in this podcast, but I would like to go through with you how posture affects the shoulder and how it can be a prominent factor in pain and loss of shoulder function. What is interesting is that even the the recent research, although discussing at length the tissues causing symptoms and describing cellular degeneration, will still mention scapular mechanics as a factor in shoulder problems and, and occasionally posture. There's not much mentioned in the literature about how to improve this though, apart from exercises and different variety of exercises, which have their place, especially if you observe some wasting, or for people who sit at their desks for extended periods of time, they really just need to move more. Usually to improve scapular mechanics, the controlling factors need to be addressed rather than just exercise through the poor mechanics though. Otherwise that can just introduce more strain and more stress and more degeneration. I've been an osteopath for 25 years and my observation is that shoulder problems are multifactorial and postural variations that increase strain at the supraspinatus tendon or affect the volume of the subacromial space can be very common, a very common contributory factor to these shoulder problems. The first 10 years of my osteopathic career, I worked as I'd been taught at college, or should I say, it was my interpretation of what was being said to me at college and what I'd taken on board. I was interested in the shoulder, having previously injured one of my own, and I remember finding shoulders complicated, which could make them a bit of a a heart sink presentation. If you couldn't work out or see what was going on, or the patients failed to recover. The approach I had was treating the soft tissues of the symptomatic shoulder, articulating the glenohumeral joint, scapula, treating any trigger points I've found, often using acupuncture, selecting local ashy points, uh, or and using the adjacent and some distant points sometimes, uh, or treating any specific somatic dysfunction or lesions I found in the ribs, especially the second rib, which on its own sometimes appeared to make quite a big difference. And also in the thoracic and cervical spine, treating any somatic dysfunction there. Plus, uh, prescribing exercises. So I felt I had a pretty global approach, but I didn't understand why supraspinatus problems were so tricky. And I found this a pretty hit and miss approach. A lot got better, but a lot didn't. And some would only get better temporarily. And that was a big problem. It was, you could get people better, but they would, it would never last. I wanted to learn more and understand how to help more people more of the time with this common problem. So I started studying the journals, looking for uh, answers, and I found that there was a direct correlation with the more I studied the tissues causing symptoms and read the research journals, the more often I would end up sending people for cortisone injections, and the less and less I was able to help them from an osteopathic perspective. Of course, what I was looking at is a medical perspective. 
and obviously it is important to understand the tissues causing symptoms as far as is possible within the limited framework of a working diagnosis. But what is probably just as important is understanding the context of why that's happening, probably even more important, so we can investigate those factors and work on the ones that we can change. And this hopefully leads to a more positive outcome. The classical osteopathic approach has always had osteopathic thinking behind it. In other words, principles, which are the ideas that guide us through diagnosis and treatment. These uh, principles were simplified down to four simple principles. And uh, they state that one, the body is an integrated unit of mind, body and spirit. Two, the body possesses self-regulatory mechanisms with the inherent capacity to defend, repair and remodel itself. Three, structure and function are reciprocally interrelated. And four, rational therapy is guided through consideration of the first three principles. So as with any osteopathic problem, we want to look at it in these terms, looking for what is obstructing the patient's natural recovery. We mediate this natural recovery rather than fix people. Given that the patient has shoulder pain, we want to look locally for the factors that may affect the tissues causing symptoms and globally to the factors that might give rise to those causes. For example, the symptoms of a supraspinatus tendinopathy or impingement being the local factors caused by a change in scapular mechanics which may well follow on from the spinal configuration which could be the context. In a podcast, obviously, what you can't do is share diagrams and uh, uh, look at pictures, which is the easiest way to discuss postures, so I'm just going to describe some of them. I do do a webinar on this subject, uh, which some people might have seen. The well-known image produced by T.E. Hall of the three women with three postures, we think was probably drawn, drawn in about 1929 in his notes uh, from uh, Little John's lectures. And uh, it was later used by the Osteopathic Institute of Applied Technique, which was renamed the Institute of Classical Osteopathy. And it shows three typical postures, the anterior posture, normal and posterior postures, with explanations of the physiological effects of the postures and how these structural configurations affect physiology. The features of the posterior posture are an extended occiput, the neck tilts downward, strain at the lower cervical spine and cervicodorsal junction area, thoracic kyphosis, disturbing the thoracic pressure, often an exaggerated lumbar lordosis to balance the kyphosis, and disturbed abdominal pressures, glenohumeral joints behind the centre of gravity line and hips in front of it, knees slightly flexed and weight posterior on the heels. And there's many other observations you can make than this. But what we're focusing on here is the shoulder and the effect of this posture draws the clavicle backward closer to the chest wall, compromising the space between it and the thorax. Having the shoulder behind this line has many implications for body mechanics and tensions in the body as well as affecting the shoulder. In what is often called the swayback posture, the shoulder girdle is pulled back and as it's drawn backwards the mechanics of the whole shoulder change significantly. So as the shoulder girdle retracts, the relationship of the arm to the trunk changes and we try to adapt to this by internally rotating the humerus in the glenoid fossa and this leads to an alteration in its plane of movement, an alteration in the relationship between the articular surfaces, strain in a, in a variety of ligamentous structures, attachments to the spine and postural muscles are all under tension. 
Additionally to this is the force of gravity which has a potential for further reducing the joint space and the range of movement. As the shoulder girdle is drawn backwards, the stresses upon the clavicle change from it being a compression member to a tension member. This changes the function of the shoulder and moves the clavicle closer to the thorax, affecting the structures that are present in this anatomically busy area. The brachial plexus may be compressed or irritated as well as stretched by the forward head posture and the strain of the cervical spine and all the soft tissue attachments as well as visceral circulatory and lymphatic structures. With this in mind and the strain that occurs at the lower cervical and upper thoracic spine and the associated lesioning involving the spinal centres which affect autonomic physiology such as vasomotor and trophic function to the shoulder structures which are at C5 to D2 for dilator functions and D3 to 8 for constrictor. If you recall the end response of a somatic dysfunctional lesion on the end tissues is ischemia which then leads to degeneration, which we commonly see in the critical zone of the supraspinatus tendon, which is already hypovascular due to the effects of the anatomy, which we'll discuss shortly. John Wernham used to say that all shoulders are swayback. Swayback refers to this posterior type of posture where the shoulder is behind the centre of gravity line. The centre of gravity line, when viewed in the lateral plane, should ideally fall from the odontoid process through the centre of the shoulder joint, through the spine passing through L3, the hip and knee joints and the talonavicular of the foot. This allows the weight bearing to be as balanced as possible with the minimum of strain. The anterior type posture, which sometimes used to get called the feminine type postures, the centre of gravity line passes posterior to the shoulder and the chin is held upwards. There's an increase in the cervical lordosis and it has altered thoracic and abdominal pressures. The, the pelvis rotates anterior to the femoral heads, which are behind the centre of gravity line. With this postural setup, the humerus has to externally rotate in the glenoid fossa, which creates changes in movement characteristics and increases strain on ligamentous structures in the rotator cuff tendon. This group often have a protracted or anterior right shoulder, which again creates strain, impingement and tendinopathy. There is a segment of the supraspinatus tendon called Codman's critical zone. This is just proximal, or about one centimetre from the attachment of the supraspinatus tendon to the greater tubercle of the humerus. The reason for this is an anastomosis about one centimetre from the tendon insertion, making the area hypovascular. The distal circulation, supplied by a tributary from the anterior circumflex artery, ascends the bicipital groove and is poorer than the proximal circulation, leading to this hypovascular area. The supraspinatus tendon is considerably hypervascular in comparison to the other tendons of the rotator cuff, which is a factor in the tendinopathy. Added to factors such as age and strain, we typically see degeneration and tendons here. The osteopathic principle of the rule of the artery is supreme and any interference with its supply marks the day, hour, minute and second to when disease starts applies really well here. This phrase is usually shortened to 
the ruler of the artery is supreme. And in this way, it's commonly mis- misunderstood to be all sorts of things. But when you s- see the whole sentence, you can really understand that it's uh, about physiology and blood supply and restrictions in blood supply cause pathological changes or changes associated with it. Much in the same way as I think find it, fix it and leave it alone gets shortened and misunderstood. The common pattern of the pelvis being high on the right due to the combined efforts of the right anterior inflare and the left posterior outflare in omelette with the sacrum and lumbar spine following it by deviating to the left and then side bending right coming back to the midline at the at the DL or lower thoracic where it deviates to the right and enters into a left side bending pattern back towards the midline and crosses it at the cervico dorsal area and a third side bending pattern to the right leading to some compression at the occiput on the left and strain on the right. If you see what's happening through the thoracic spine it will create different different tensions on the muscles that pass from the thorax and cervical spine to the scapula and from the ribs to the scapula which alter the scapular mechanics accordingly. What can happen to the articular relations when the T-line which is the line which goes uh, horizontally across the shoulders is lower on the right and higher on the left with reference to the supraspinatus is it's under more gravitational strain from the weight of the humerus which has less support in the glenoid fossa. This increased strain acts on Codman's critical area and can lead to inflammation in that subacromial space which can be a factor in impingement. The high end of a disturbed T-line, which is commonly the effect of a long left side bending pattern through the thoracic spine or other patterns, presents a higher distal end of the clavicle. This changes the angulation of the scapula and changes the relationship of the humeral head relative to the scapula, increasing the space at the superior portion of the glenohumeral articular surfaces. All this creates more strain on the supraspinatus at its critical zone than in the neutral position. There are many different configurations of the general posture which affect the supraspinatus. Too many to go into a, a podcast uh, because there's no pictures and there's an, infer- an infinite variety of uh, these postures. And the purpose of this review is just to give a couple of common examples that we see in clinical practice. Obviously, we mustn't forget any lung or general red flags that might indicate organic disease that we always need to have in our osteopathic thinking process and the possibility for a medical referral, particularly when there's been or is currently active metastatic disease of the breast, lung and thyroid, which tend to have secondaries in the upper extremities, uh, shoulder girdle or cervical spine. But also a very large number of metastatic cancers will end up with secondaries in the liver, which can cause right shoulder pain. And obviously not forgetting kidney and prostate cancers or other primary bone cancers, which fortunately are rarer. There are also the viscerosomatic pathways to be concerned about when treating shoulder pain and the effects that these may have on the mechanics. The liver and gallbladder receive nerve fibres from the phrenic nerves, as does the diaphragm and afferent impulses are carried back to the spinal cord at C345. Through the spinal cord centres and lack of segmentation in the spinal cord, this crosses over via the interneurons with the efferent motor supply to the supraspinatus at C567. 
Increased nociceptive afferent traffic through this pathway from the liver excites these pathways which leads to the interpretation of shoulder pain. Not only does it do this, but it also causes the motor neurons supplying the shoulder muscles to become active, causing increased tone in the supraspinatus which increases the ensuing degeneration. A common reason for afferent bombardment from the liver is fatty liver disease, but other non-pathological processes can do this, such as stress, poor diet, poor hydration, which may need to be discussed with the patient. Sympathetic innervation is from the celiac ganglion, which connects to the cord at D6 to 9. These are the same segments that supply the stomach. This increase in afferent traffic excites neurologically related motor neurons, which increases tension in the scapulothoracic muscles, which affect the scapular mechanics, placing increased strain on the rotator cuff. These alterations in scapular mechanics are the normal anatomical changes that occur for the specific postural pattern that we see. When examining the shoulder, we might, for example, find alterations in the acromioclavicular joint range of motion in many of the presentations because the posture may have pushed the shoulder forward, compressing the clavicle or backward stretching it, or it could be above or below the relative height of the T-line. But trying to adjust that to normal isn't going to help much as it's a secondary factor. Adjusting it in isolation and leaving the postural pattern as it is will only ever achieve limited success as you can't adjust the abnormal to the normal. That shoulder posture is normal for that posture. So the whole organism needs to be adjusted. That is why we talk about body adjustment in classical osteopathy. And these various shoulder configurations are the normal adaptation to the current general posture. These variations of body-wide postural mechanics, of which there are many more than I have illustrated, cause areas of stress and strain throughout the whole structure, which creates edema at the sites of maximum strain. When treating someone, we typically find these areas of tension and soreness around the symptomatic area, or just as commonly, far away from there. Often the patient was one unaware of their presence, uh, especially in the ones which are further away from the symptomatic structure. If there is enough strain in a particular structure, edema will be created to initiate the healing process of the tissues in question. Edema in these areas activates the small fibre system, and if there's enough edema, the signalling to our cortex makes us aware of pain. In this case, the signalling may be from the supraspinatus tendon. As previously mentioned, our role is removing obstacles to natural recovery. The obstacle to recovery here is the effects of stress and strain on these tissues and without help the structure drifts further away from the neutrally balanced posture therefore creating more stress and strain. Body adjustment using long levers attempts to balance the anterior to posterior and posterior to anterior structures and the structures from medial to lateral and vice versa. Removal of stress and strain allows the autonomic neuroendocrine immune system to do its job and this is Dill's principle of the body has its own medicine chest. The more modern interpretation of that is the body possesses self-regulatory mechanisms with the inherent capacity to defend, repair and remodel itself. So sometimes these sore areas 
that we find, maybe hypertonus of a muscle or palpable edema, other times an area of strain and somatic dysfunction will also create trigger points or fibrous tissue and calcium deposition uh, may be there if chronic strain has been present for long enough. These findings aren't the body going wrong but adaptations to chronic strain and sometimes other factors such as pathology and age and old injuries etc. The healing process can sometimes be quite uncomfortable for people as our body starts to resolve the problem particularly if it needs to raise some inflammation to resolve fibrous tissues hence people sometimes get a reaction 24 or 48 hours after treatment which resolves after a further 24 to 48 hours and follows with some improvement of their condition which when they report back they find quite miraculous Classical osteopathy has always been a constitutional approach attempting to move people towards health, fundamentally moving the body structure back to a more neutral relationship with gravity, and this balances the interaction of the autonomic systems and reduces drive on the hypopituitary adrenal axis, enabling the body's own medicine chest to heal itself. That is why I treat the whole body now. Although I thought I did previously, and I did in a way, but not in a way to affect the posture and enough to improve the scapular mechanics to reduce the strain in the supraspinatus tendon and to also stabilise it. I think what is critical in this approach is the osteopathic thinking, which is the understanding of the structure-function relationships and the use of long levers to integrate the body to work as a unit allowing nature's medicine chest to then play its part in the healing process. With long levers, you're actually recruiting as many anatomical structures and tissues as possible in your articulatory procedures, attempting to balance these structures as far as is possible each treatment, anterior to posterior and medial to lateral, moving the posture back to a more neutral position. Specific localised treatment even though sometimes having its own place, cannot do that. And this is one of the things that makes the classical approach different. Using it, I've found I have better, more predictable results, and I'm able to help more people more of the time, and it isn't often my, my shoulder patients need cortisone injections or chromioplasty now. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you'd like further information about the courses that the Institute of Classical Osteopathy run, please go to our website at www.classical-osteopathy.org. Thank you very much. Bye.